0: Radio Prague
1: International, the external service of Czech Radio. News.
2: Czechs are voting in the first round of presidential elections. The websites of two presidential candidates were hacked just ahead of the vote. And the lower house will convene for a no-confidence vote in the Fiala government on Tuesday, January 17th. Czechs have started voting in the first round of presidential elections to replace President Milor Zeman, whose second term in office ends on March 8th. Polling stations opened at 2 p.m. on Friday and will remain open until 10 p.m. On Saturday, people can cast their ballot from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. The results of the vote should be announced on Saturday afternoon. If, as expected, none of the eight candidates taking part receive more than 50% in the first round, a second runoff vote will be held in a fortnight's time. The websites of two presidential candidates were hacked on Friday morning, according to the National Institute for Cybersecurity. Hackers blocked the web pages of General Pedro Pavel, a hot candidate in the presidential race, and academic Tomasz Zima. According to the Institute, the attacks came from IP addresses across Europe, and traces lead to the Russian hackers group known as No Name 057. Health Minister Vlastimil Valek has assured Czechs that the drug shortage problem is being addressed and urged the general public not to hoard drugs because they're only making the problem worse. At a press briefing in Prague on Friday, the Health Minister said that special deliveries of antibiotics would arrive weekly in the course of January and February, and the situation on the market should stabilise by March. The minister added that the shortage of flu medicine for children had already been resolved. The lower house will convene for a no-confidence vote in the Fiala government on Tuesday, January 17th, Deputy Speaker Viera Kovarova announced on Friday. The no-confidence vote has been instigated by the opposition ANO party, which collected enough signatures to push it through. The party claims the government is not doing enough to address people's real problems. However, since the ruling coalition has a majority in the lower house, it is certain to survive the no-confidence motion. The police look set to get the right to order Czech or European operators of websites to disable terrorist content such as images of terrorist attacks or executions. MPs passed a government bill to that effect on Friday. The Senate will now vote on the matter. The legislation is based on an EU directive against the circulation of online terrorist content. The Lower House of Parliament has approved a ban on the sale of nicotine pouches to minors. The amendment would introduce the same regulation that already applies to tobacco products or electronic cigarettes. Violations of the ban would be subject to financial penalties. Producers should also change the design of the packaging to make the product less appealing to children. The draft law was prepared by the Ministry of Health in response to the growing popularity of nicotine pouches among teenagers, despite warnings of the risk of nicotine addiction. The bill will now go to the Senate for approval and is expected to come into force in mid-2023. Finally, a quick look at the weather forecast. Saturday should be partly cloudy to overcast with rain in the western parts of the country and day temperatures between 4 and 8 degrees Celsius. I'm Daniela Lazarová and that's the end of the news.
3: Hello and welcome to Radio Prague International, the external service of Czech radio with Mirud Frankova. Coming up in today's program, the first round of presidential elections has kicked off in Czechia. History of dissident literature under communism gets its own special day. And later we speak to John Kotoč, a US banker with Czech heritage. All that coming up, so please stay with us. The first round of presidential elections is taking place in Czechia this Friday and Saturday. Eight candidates are vying for the position of Czech head of state to replace the incumbent president, Milos Zeman, whose second term in office ends on the 8th of March. Tom McEncroe is in the studio with me now and has been following the process. Tom, I understand that the winner of the election will be only the second president to be elected by popular vote.
1: Hi, Ruth. Yes, the popular vote has been used to elect the president since 2012. Before then, the Czech head of state was elected into office by the two chambers of Czech's parliament. Specifically, these were Václav Havel and Václav Klaus. Thus far, the only Czech president to ever be elected directly by the people was Milos Zeman, whose second term is set to end this March. The person who succeeds him will receive a five-year mandate to serve as head of state, and that mandate can be held for a maximum of two successive terms, so a total of ten years.
3: An optional second round is also planned for the end of this month. Tell us, what would have to happen to necessitate voters to go to the ballot again?
1: Yes, indeed. If none of the candidates receives more than 50% of the vote in the first round – A subsequent second round will take place on January 27th and 28th. In the previous two popular elections, no candidate ever succeeded in the first round. But a little bit of trivia for you. The winner of the first round has so far always gone on to win the presidency.
3: And could you just recap what sorts of powers does the president
1: actually hold? Well, constitutionally, Czechia is a parliamentary republic and the position of president is thus far primarily a representative role. However, and we've seen this with Miloš Seman over the past years, the holder of the office can exercise significant influence through the powers that they get from the constitution. Specifically, he or she can, for example, name constitutional judges, members of the Council of the Czech National Bank, the heads of the Supreme Court and the Supreme Audit Office. And, of course, the head of state is also the supreme commander of the armed forces and names the head of government and the members of their cabinet.
3: Tom McEncroe summing up the presidential elections that have kicked off in Czechia. And you can, of course, follow the election news on Radio Prague's website as well as on our Facebook and Twitter. Moving on now, a proposal put forward by a group of five coalition MPs to make October the 12th the official day of Samizdat was approved by the government this week. Although not a state holiday, the marking of the date as a significant day in the Czech calendar brings recognition to the people who risked and suffered persecution by the communist state between 1948 and 1989 due to their illicit activities. Anna Fodor has the details. Miroslav Svoboda is a native of
4: Pulzen who is involved in the publishing and distribution of Samizdat materials in the West Bohemian
3: city. I'm not from Prague, so I wasn't in the very centre of Samizdat activity. But here in Plzeň we tried to self-publish some magazines, books and so on. Every once in a while we went to Prague and brought back what they had published there. We also distributed petitions to release friends who had been jailed.
5: Samizdat,
3: literally meaning self-publishing
4: in Russian took place across the Eastern Bloc and was a form of dissident activity in which people reproduced and distributed written materials that had been censored or banned by the authorities. The materials were usually produced in a makeshift way, as Miroslav Svoboda
3: describes. We worked on typewriters. At the beginning, it was usually only around 10 to 13 copies. Later, we got a cyclostyle copier, so then it was possible to print larger amounts. Gradually, we reached a wider and wider audience. Towards the end of the 1980s, people were less afraid and more willing to read the materials and then pass them on to someone else. Svoboda is part of a group of people who since
4: 2017 have been promoting the idea of marking the history of Samizdat in Czechia with a special day. He says the group also included people from Poland, Slovakia and other former Eastern Bloc countries who wanted to advocate for the official recognition of such a day in their countries too. And Czechia was not the first to achieve this goal.
5: The
3: Slovaks overtook us. They already approved the day of Samizdat in 2020. I copied their justification letter a little bit and I wrote the whole proposal and tried to start promoting it among some MPs.
4: The date of October twelfth was chosen for the day of Samizdat because of its connection with Ivan Polansky, a Slovak Christian activist and big publisher of Samizdat literature, who was tried and sentenced to four years in prison. <laughs>
3: On the 12th of October, a group of 92 Czech and Slovak Samizdat publishers wrote an open letter to the then-communist president Gustav Husák, saying something along the lines of you are convicting Polanski for publishing Samizdat literature. We also publish Samizdat literature, so either you lock us up too or you let him go. It was a very interesting position because they voluntarily revealed their identities, which didn't usually happen, of course. It was normally all done in secret.
4: Svoboda, whose name incidentally means freedom in Czech, says the decision to mark the day came as welcome news after several years of campaigning for such a move.
3: Just a reminder that you are listening to Radio Prague International, the external service of Czech Radio, where it's now time for our feature of the day, brought to you by Tom McEncrow. <coughs>
1: John Kotoch is the CEO and co-chair of the American National Bank for the Midwestern Region of the United States. Descended from a family of Czech immigrants to Nebraska, he is also a member of the American Friends of the Czech Republic. And he recently visited Radio Prague International Studios and spoke to me, among other things, about the organization and its aims.
0: It's the most substantial Czech-identified organization in the U.S. So it's important for us to have good relationships, for the Americans to have good relationships with Czechs and vice versa. So we try to act as intermediaries if necessary. But it's not official government. It's purely a private charity foundation.
1: How many members do you have, and are those members predominantly people with Czech heritage, or is it anybody?
0: Well, mostly someone with a connection to Czech Republic. But like Norm Eisen was at one time here in the embassy. I don't think he's Czech. Maybe he is Czech, but he is on the board too. And how big is this organization? There are probably on the board 25 members,
1: Okay. You're obviously very interested in the Czech Republic. You still feel ties to it, even though you're a fourth-generation Czech. So could you tell us about your family and, uh, you know, maybe why your ties are so close to the Czech Republic?
0: Well, it's very interesting. Uh, Maybe it's many more than fourth-generation Czech. I have traced my family to the 1600s, and my grandfather's brothers, three brothers, would eat all in the same household together on Sundays, you know, sauerkraut, dumplings, and usually duck or something like that. I would sit at their feet and listen to their stories about the days when they lived in Bohemia. That made a big impression upon me, and my grandfather was a very educated guy, a uh, graduate of the University of Nebraska, and a poet, a statesman, a banker himself, and was elected to, you know, our unicameral and bicameral legislatures in the past. So I had a lot of contact with people who were Czechs in Nebraska from a very early age. I guess that made a very good impression upon me. And my grandmother as well was from... Bohemia.
1: Did you speak in Czech Czech with your family or was it just a...
0: Well, there was some Czech spoken, but mostly stories. So I grew up with stories about Žiška and stories about how there was this Bible that was hidden in a beehive because it was illegal to own this Bible because it was in Czech. A story that a number of friends in Nebraska and Iowa and Minnesota that I've talked to have had to in their families.
1: And uh, could you tell me about those Nebraska Czechs? I mean, I don't know if you're in touch with any <clears> of them, but uh, I just know that we have lots of listeners who are Nebraska Czechs, so I'm curious.
0: Well, I'm a, a member of the Nebraska Czech Slovak Club, and there are many clubs in that area of the United States. Nebraska is... Uh, probably the most populous per capita population of Czech ancestry in the United States. Texas, by far the more in numbers, but Nebraska, it's very common to have someone who is of Czech ancestry or who's, if they're not bearing a Czech name, their mother or someone was Czech or had Czech ancestry. So it's not uncommon.
1: And I understand that these ties are still very much maintained i mean i see there are lots of for example facebook groups where there are sort of parties and things going on with check attire you know check food i mean you guys are sort of trying to maintain that connection aren't you
0: yes in fact my wife and daughter are right now working with a woman in uh, the outskirts of prague to design a croix for my daughter a
1: croy just for your daughter or some sort of Nebraska croy? Does Does Nebraska have its own No, it's,
0: it's from our family's region of Bohemia. Okay. And, of course, each region has its own kind of croix and materials and how the dresses are formed and so forth, and that is a science in itself. I was not aware of that, but I am now. And could you just tell us maybe how do you...
1: Maintain your Czechness in Nebraska, I guess, or something like that. Like, what sort of uh, traditional things do you do?
0: We uh, have a Christmas party, the Czech Slovak Club in Omaha. I'm always looking at uh, a publication of the Czech Slovak Ancestry International that's in Minneapolis, Minnesota, that is a national organization. I work with many people who have Czech heritage, and we joke about it more than anything as to where we can find the best kolache or Czech food. And so it's many generations away from having been living in the Czech Republic. See, our family moved here in 1882. So that's many generations already and three generations since I was connected directly to the Czech Republic. And there's um, a lot of awareness. I have one employee who is from one of the Czech centers in Nebraska. And there's the Czech capital called Wilbur, Nebraska. See, my daughter is actually competing in one of these Czech club competitions. And it is a good way to renew our heritage. Could you just tell us... You know, when you said 1882,
1: so what did your family move to Nebraska? What were they doing? Were they farmers?
0: Well, they came from Yitkov and he was a grocer and businessman and times were very tough. I have the letter that he wrote to his parents. It was very sad that they had to leave, but they thought they needed to do it because, well, on the one hand, at that time, the railroads were offering incentives for people to just travel and they would buy you a ticket on the ship and so they came they had a relative in Nebraska that linked them to this community where I grew up called Humboldt, Nebraska and that's how the family started to settle there. My grandfather was like Czech brethren and I didn't think much of it until I read an article recently that about 10 years ago that said that only 4% of immigrants were Protestant. The rest were either free thinkers or Catholic. And I thought, that's a very small percentage, which caused me to start to do some more research. And then I learned more about the uh, patent of toleration and Joseph II and all of those political actions that were taken, and realized that one of my ancestors was baptized in a church in 1782, awfully close to the issuing of the patent. I thought, okay, this indicates to me that this didn't start in 1782. It started much before that, because in the relics that my family held on to, Some of them, which they probably didn't completely understand, were all these old ink prints of battles in the Hussite Revolution. And also Hraspred Hranitsi or something like that, where he was in front of this funeral pyre. Those are quite common, though, those pictures that a lot of Czech
1: families have them.
0: Oh, yeah. And this was a very old ink print. And so these were the stories I grew up with. Is this your first time that you've been in the Czech Republic?
1: Probably third. Third. When did you first start coming to the Czech Republic? Oh, as a child.
0: As a child. So during communism? During communism. How did Mm -hmm. that happen? How did that work? It was a much different place at the time. I was probably in high school at the time. And uh, now I'm in my 70s. And I remember we met with a Czech friend who was working in the embassy. We had a wonderful meal here in Prague and then took a, you had to work always through the Czech travel agency, the communist government travel agency to do anything, but they thought it was okay. They would drive us down to Yitkov. So we visited Yitkov more than 50 years ago.
1: More than 50 years ago. So the 70s. And it hasn't
0: changed much. <laughs> so
1: we're talking the 70s? Uh, we're talking early 60s early 60s, so before the Prague Spring and everything. Oh, yes. How did you experience the Prague Spring? Do you remember it?
0: Um, It was a time of great hopefulness for Czech people and very moved by the leaders that brought about Czech Spring. I have met Vaclav Havel in the past and was very impressed with him And then there was another earlier leader that I... Dubček, right? Dubček, that was it. That's the Prague Spring, yeah. Yeah, and I had not met him. But yes, I mean, we followed the news very closely and were hopeful that it would stick, you know, that it wouldn't just fail.
1: And tell me then about the Velvet Revolution. How did you experience that and
0: how did you end up meeting Václav Havel? Well, that was really through AFOCR probably. American Friends of the Czech Republic. He's a great gentleman, quite literary and extraordinary human being. Okay, and you met
1: him, I'm guessing, in the 90s or the 2000s? 2000s. -hmm. 2000s. And is there something that you would maybe like to tell any Nebraska Czechs who might be listening?
0: I think they know as well or better than I do why their Czech heritage makes a difference. In this many generations, apart from... Immigration. There's probably most of them think of the Czech people as through the foods they eat <laughs> more than they follow the politics. I don't think that many follow the politics, but there's certainly, especially in American Friends of the Czech Republic, many who follow Czech politics. At one time, Madeleine Albright was part of... American friends of the Czech Republic, and my, I, I've i met her, there's no one I have more respect for, or had more respect for than her. What an incredible intellect and diplomat for the Czech people.
1: And uh, I'm going to ask you again, but uh, what was she like? I know you sort of said something, but uh, maybe tell me about the situation in which you met her.
0: Well, she was helping to honour a few Americans who are in American friends of the Czech Republic, and she was herself receiving an honor from them. She's enormously able to express herself; was able. It's not that long since she died, and she was so alert to the moment she died. I mean, that in, in of itself was always impressive to me. Is you know, we hear about mental decline these days. She had none of it. She was a grand secretary of state it was very difficult to find a better one and um, very alert to the kinds of risks of fascism and extremism that she grew up with that were occurring in america that she wanted to call attention to and she did it very effectively
3: And that interview with John Kotoj brings us to the end of our programme here on Radio Prague International. If you have any comments about the programme, then please send them to us. You can contact us by email at english at or on Facebook and Twitter. But that's all for now from Mirud Fraňkova. Thank you very much for joining us and goodbye.